All right, you know the new rules. Uh, we're doing discussions in Matthew, so uh, I will read this section. I'll make some comments, then we'll stop the recording, allow you to ask questions. I'll repeat the question with the recording started, answer it, and we'll do it in that kind of context. But I haven't read anything yet, so. I hope we're getting through seven today. Yeah, that's my goal. We have, yeah, but I think we can do it. All right, so in um, Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to pick it up at uh, verse 12, uh, which is kind of where we left off last time. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want to, uh, them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Again, this is a proverbic type statement, a proverb that is generally correct. You have to be careful about treating it uh, as the final answer on everything. It's giving general information uh, in, that allows us to put it in a capsule and maintain it. Like, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, love one another. The details of that have to be understood or that statement by itself could be misinterpreted. But what, what Jesus is basically saying is that uh, if we understand people, we want to be treated with understanding, then we will try to understand people. If we want to be treated with goodness and not harm, then we will treat people with goodness and not harm, right? So it's not saying that if you want someone to give you a banana split, you give them a banana split. That's not the, that's not the idea here, right? So uh, I'm going to just move on because that we closed with last time. So I want you to look at verses 13 and 14. So Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now this statement to the Jewish ears that Jesus is speaking to, remember the Sermon on the Mount is being given to Israel, is a reminder of what the uh, Torah says, I have set before you life and death and you will choose life. And there is a way that is uh, that seems to man as the right way, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so this is in some sense the basis of the statement that Paul makes when he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or demonstrate what the will of God is. And so this notion of the narrow way versus the broad way, the broad way is the way that uh, seems good to humanity, that seems that this is the way we ought to live. But God has said there is a narrow way tied to his will, tied to his purpose, and tied to his word. And he says that in some sense, only a few find that. And part of that is because most people are not looking for the way. They're following the crowd, assuming that the crowd knows something. So if this is what everybody's doing, then it should be okay, instead of knowing what thus saith the Lord. So this notion of the wide gate and the narrow gate is important for us as we uh, are not to, not to follow the majority. We're not to follow the broad way in that sense but the more narrow way, that narrow way, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So we're going to stop that at this point.
So the question was, do we follow, not follow the crowd, just do our own thing? Uh, not our own thing, but following the Lord's way. And what you will find if you begin to read the scriptures and you begin to do the scriptures, you'll begin to notice that people will tell you that's not practical. This is the way life is now and you need to do it this way. And so that pressure back and forth is what we're to resist. We'll see more of that in the, uh, in the context of what Jesus is saying here. So, so the question is, why do people take the broader path? I think part of it is human nature is lazy. We just assume follow someone and follow a group, then really think for ourselves about these things. Now, the danger of thinking for yourself is that you could be just as wrong as the group. But if you're stopping to say, what does the Lord want? What is He commanding us to do? What should I do based on on His Word and His will? Then uh, that's difficult. And we tend not to want to do what's difficult. We tend to want to do what's easy. So I think the broad way is usually the easy way in that sense. Okay, you got that? So what exactly is the difference between the broad path and God's path? God's path is always revealed to us in the Word of God. The pathway of man is always a way that says, let's go this way and because it seems to us that this is the right way. So in a sense, this is the difference between culture and the will of God. And that is constantly a battle for us. To struggle with the world. John says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here Jesus says, don't go the broad, common way, but go that more narrow way. So that's specifically what he's talking about, following the word of God, as opposed to following the ways of men. So, so Nick is pointing out that man's ways change. He's constantly working new angles on that. But God's ways don't change. The Lord's ways are the ways of, uh, of truth. And it's partly what I was talking about earlier uh, today in the idea that um, uh, we, we have a tendency to think that because our technology is changing and our culture is changing, our language changing, that we're making progress. But we're not really making progress in human nature. Human nature is still a problem and God's word has always addressed directly human nature in that sense. Okay, so the question is, does man think that his uh, development of language and other things are progress? Ever since Babel, at Babel, God confounded the people by changing their languages. And the people spread out over the earth and created all the different countries and nations. And, and, that. and each one thinking that their way is right. We call that ethnocentrism in anthropology. But it's just the idea that we think our way is right and other people's ways are weird, Right. Then what God did was he took Abraham and he made a way, a culture, a language, and a people, and said, this one is going to be a light to the other ones. So Israel is the light to the nations. 
God's word is the light to all of us uh, coming out of Israel in that context for us to follow the Lord's ways and not the ways that seem right to us. So that is our problem. Human beings always think they're improving the world and we tend not to improve the world. We just uh, seem to make the same mistakes over and over just with new technology. So... We're going to pick it up at verse 15, all right? So, verse 15 then. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, and the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. So, uh, let me talk about this and then I'm going to read the next couple of verses because it's related. Jesus is using an example that they would all understand. Uh, If you have been around any kind of uh, farming community, you know that there are trees that produce better and trees that produce uh, not so good fruit. In fact, you'll, you'll find some trees that you just say, we're not going to harvest that tree because it just doesn't produce good fruit. In fact, what they'll end up doing, if it doesn't produce good fruit or it doesn't produce at all, is they'll cut it down and get rid of it because it's just taking up space. And then they put a new tree in there. So Jesus is using an example that they would get. And he says, a good tree produces good fruit. And a bad tree produces bad fruit. They usually don't produce a little bit of one or the other. That's a little bit different than human beings. But he says, by their fruit you shall know them. Now, he's specifically talking here about people who are giving the appearance, the external appearance of being one of the sheep. In other words, of being one of the believers. They're they're claiming to be a believer. They're... They, they come to the services, they act when they're with people uh, in groups like they're one of us, but really what they are is they're selfish wolves that are really out to hurt other people. And one of the problems that we have in religious communities is that we have a tendency to be a little naive about that. We think that, that evil people are going to come in announcing that they're evil. And that's just not what happens. So the Bible talks about those ministers of Satan who come as angels of light, as messengers of light. The idea that there are people who use this faith for their manipulation of other people. And so what Jesus says is you really need to be careful of this. You need to be aware of this, that there are people who will act uh, Christian but really are doing damage. And you want to watch out for them. And then he says, um, in, in this same context, many will say to me on that day, well, let me pick it up at 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven uh, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I want you to understand this. Uh, this is really an important text. 
This statement, you who practice lawlessness, is really in effect saying, you who ignore the Torah, you who ignore the commandments of God. Notice they don't say to him, Lord, we obeyed your commandments. What they said is, Lord, we did a bunch of great things in your name. And he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work Torahlessness or lawlessness. So again, we're back to this narrow way. The narrow way is to obey God's word. And there are always people looking for signs and wonders. And there's a fascinating verse in the Torah that says, if somebody comes and they work a miracle or they make a prophecy and that actually comes to pass and then they say, let us not follow God, let's follow this, you're to know that God is testing you to see whether you really trust Him or not. So if somebody comes in the Lord's name and they're working miracles and they're doing all kinds of things, but they are not walking according to the commandments of God, then we know they're these wolves in sheep's clothing and we need to watch out for them. Their judgment will come at the end. All right, so we're going to... All right, the example that is brought up is this is a little bit like the Little Red Riding Hood story, right? Where the wolf is pretending to be the grandma, but he's, he's really, uh, he's really uh, a devourer. That is the way Satan works. Satan doesn't try to look hideous and ugly and sinful and wretched. He tries to look righteous. He tries to get you to believe that what you're doing is pleasing to God, but it's really pleasing to you. So that's what he did with Adam and Eve. Can you eat from any of the trees of the garden? Well, we can eat from all of them except this one. Oh, that you got that wrong. You can eat from that one. And then she bought it, right? So we want to watch out for that kind of person who is claiming to be uh, following God and then tries to get us to go in ways that aren't what his commandments are. All right, you ready? Okay. The question was, so are we not holy people because we're getting the scraps from the table because we're Gentiles? Uh, And the answer to that is uh, no. Uh, We have been, according to the apostles in the book of Acts, the Gentiles, God is calling out of the Gentiles a people for his name. And Paul refers to the Corinthians that was predominantly Gentiles, saints, so holy ones. So we who have come out of the nations and come to the Lord are also kadosh. We are also holy. We don't replace Israel. We come alongside Israel. Uh, Jesus talked about having another flock of sheep and that one day they would come together and there would be one shepherd. So we are also a holy people, but we are not a holy people in the sense that we are wholly distinct from Israel, but we are holy alongside of Israel in that sense. That's, that's an important notion. Uh, we don't, this is the problem of how do we call ourselves Gentiles? Paul seems to talk about Gentiles who believe and Gentiles who don't know God. That seems to be his category. 
Uh, there are people in the Messianic movement that want to refer to those of us who believe and understand Israel as God-fearers because that was the historical term used for a Gentile who feared the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, pref- I like both terms. Uh, it's just that most Christians don't know what the term God-fearer means. And so if you say to people you're a God-fearer, they think you're just a deist. And that's not the same, right? So that becomes a problem. So the, the reality is we are also holy under the Lord and we are also therefore under the holiness commandments, at least some of them. So if you look through Leviticus, there are certain commandments regarding sexuality and certain commandments regarding idols that says this is for the native born Jew and the stranger, that's a Gentile, who dwells with Israel. Okay? And so I think those commandments then uh, fit us as being holy people of the nations who dwell with Israel in that, in that context. Yeah, this one we want. So the question is, can someone say they believe and not really follow in that sense? That's exactly what James says. Okay. James says, you believe that there is one God, you believe well. The devils also, the demons also believe, and they tremble. At least they respond to that belief. So the danger is for a person to think that if I believe it and I say it, I don't have to do it. Okay? And we have, a, uh, we have a form of Christianity that's developed that says, all you have to do is believe in your heart and say with your mouth. But that's in the context of Romans, where Paul is saying, shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We are no longer slaves to sin, we're slaves to God to walk in righteousness. So the context of the profession of faith is that our our struggle is to bring our body into conformance with what our words say. Now we don't do it perfectly, that's Romans 7. What I want to do, I end up not doing. What I don't want to do, I end up doing because I'm fighting the flesh that law in my flesh that wants to sin against God. But in my heart and in my mind, I'm struggling towards uh, obedience to God. That struggle should involve making some progress in the direction of righteousness. So, <laughs> Are you ready? So why do some people not repent? There are a number of answers to that. I'm going to give you the general one, okay? Uh, the Bible tells us that our sin blinds us to keep us from seeing the truth and turning. And the Bible also says that in God's grace, He allows us to turn from our sins. So, to some extent, this is a person who is unwilling to believe, who's unwilling to stop their their sin. Even those of us who want to stop sinning struggle with it. But imagine somebody who doesn't want to do that at all. They're just going to move in that direction. (laughs) All right. so the question is, if somebody's doing the mouth talk, but they're not behaving like a believer, how long do we give them, right? Uh, The Bible tells us that when a brother is not... acting appropriately, we are to consider ourselves so that we're not uh, doing this out of anger or, or holier than thou, but to uh, correct them. 
the Bible allows a pattern of corrections of two or three times before you hold the line on somebody. Now, I'm not talking about the forgiveness thing. If somebody literally confesses and repents and they're struggling, but they, they're failing and they're struggling, that's that seven times 70 that Jesus talks about. But when it comes to heresy, when it comes to a behavior, and in the case of 1 Corinthians 5, when it's very gross behavior, uh, and they're basically saying, God's grace allows me to do this, then we're supposed to remove them from the community. Uh, and the question then is, what happens? If they are truly a believer and they are removed from the community, and I know this from first-hand experience, I didn't get kicked out of the community, but I left the community, and God dealt with me. And the scripture says that if you are not receiving the discipline of the Lord, which all of God's children receive when they're in rebellion, then it means you're not a real child, right? And so at some point, uh, there is a need to treat somebody as if they are, uh, in the words of Jesus, a publican and a sinner. In other words, not a republican, a publican and a sinner. And the idea is that we, we don't care what your profession of faith is, where your behavior clearly indicates that you're not a believer. So my general approach is to treat people who act like believers as believers and people who don't act as believers as not believers and I don't listen that much to what they profess because we live in a culture where you can profess anything almost any time. Now the problem of how long do you do that is really problematic because there are uh, people like Samson who didn't ultimately turn until the end uh, of his life. There are people like me that went through several years before God turned me around. So I want to be careful about this idea of it's a quick process. But there ought to be some sense of the struggle in their life. I know the people that were watching me could see that I could not find my way to completely get out of uh, a statement of faith, and, and yet I couldn't seem to find my way back uh, during that time. And ultimately then God brought me back and, and I've stayed uh, from that time to this, uh, though not without struggle, but at least knowing the direction I'm going. Okay, so the question is, how do we address this? Do we... Uh, somebody says they're a believer, so we give them a chance, and if they mess it up three times, then we reject them. So I want to be careful here. We are supposed to live in community as believers. That's what a congregation is. So it would be easier for us to know, not completely, but easier for us to know if one of us was just a facade of belief because uh, we, we see each other up close. We see each other in that sense. So if all of a sudden uh, you notice that uh, somebody is uh, borrowing money from everybody and never paying it back and they're telling lies about people when they're rebuked, they say, oh, I'm sorry about that, but they keep doing that. We would see that and we could deal with that. This is much harder 
when we're dealing with somebody who's not in our congregation, who's at work, or maybe a family member that we don't see very often. And there we have to be a little bit more careful. But we're also not as dependent on their profession and behavior as we might be on a closer relative. So where this matters most is in our families, in our congregation, and among our close friends that we are to monitor uh, somebody who is overtly um, denying their faith by their, by their behavior. So why do people sin? Uh, we are, our, our nature is to be selfish. And the nature of God is to be giving. Selfishness and giving are opposites, right? So our nature of being selfish, self-protection, getting taking care of me first, tends to make us miss the mark of God's uh, commandments, which are all about what we do for other people. And so that selfishness is the heart of our sin. And that's why, as believers, we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. It means that we don't do what we want, but we do what the Lord wants. That's very hard because it goes against our nature. So the question is, why do we have people that do this? Um, first of all, there are two, two reasons. One... Some people want to hurt other people, and so they will pretend that they are helpful to get access to people. Those people are really evil. Then there are people who are just in love with themselves so much that they don't realize that they are selfish in their relationships with other people. And again, that's part of our human nature, so that's... That's part of that struggle that we have. And it's one that we all fight all the time. Going to make it. All right. Ready? So we're now we come to the end of the sermon and the period where, uh, where the section where Jesus is giving these proverbial frameworks and he gives us his conclusion. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine, going all the way back to the Beatitudes, right, and acts on them, notice it's not just hearing but doing, uh, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now before we get to the last two verses, I want to talk about that. So Jesus now gives us a word picture. There's a wise man who builds his house on a solid foundation, that solid foundation being doing what Jesus has commanded. Doing, not just hearing. Both of them hear. So this man, it's his doing of the commandments that, that is the foundation for his, his house or his life. 
And then this other man, the foolish man, uh, is not doing it. So he is like building on sand. Uh, he is not, he's hearing it, but he's not doing it. He's saying, I believe it, but he's not doing it. Right? So he builds his house. Now, I want you to notice that both houses have storms coming. Wouldn't it be nice if what Jesus said, if you hear my words and you do them and you build your house, there will be no storm. There will be no rain, no floods, no wind, no problems. You will just sail through life. I was taught that. It's not true. But that, that's what some people like to think, right? Both of these people are going to find in life there are problems. There are storms. There are floods. There's all kinds of problems. The difference is that this house built on obedience to the Lord will remain and the other house will fall and come apart. And what you'll find is people who hear the word of God and do the word of God and hear the words of Jesus and do the words of Jesus, when life is really problematic for them, they still persevere in faith. But the others say, hey, God's abandoned me, I'm abandoning him. God's word doesn't work, I'm not going to work it. That, that approach is the person who doesn't really know the Lord and the Lord doesn't really know them because the knowledge of the Lord is found in obedience to Him and not in just hearing Him. So then he ends with these words. When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at His teaching for He was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus taught as if he really knew what he was talking about, because he really knew what he was talking about. So we'll shut that. Is that that's really good. So the question is, so the guy's faith is shown in his obedience, and therefore when the storms come, that's what holds him, right? The other guy really doesn't have faith. He, he knows the words. And he, they, they don't make any sense to him because when they're tested, which is your word, they're tested by the storms of life, uh, there's, it just crumbles. And that's exactly what this is talking about. And, and if you take time to talk to older believers who have known the Lord for a long time, you will find out that their life was not filled with everything working out. That they had a lot of problems in that. But their faith in God is stronger towards the end than it was at the beginning. Because they have found God to be faithful by their struggle with obedience in that, in that sense. Okay, so the question is, uh, is God protecting the one man? His house doesn't fall down. The other one's house falls down. The, the, the danger here is to think that there will be no problems. Remember, this guy's going through the storm, but he makes it through the storm because God is with him. And he knows that God is with him because he's got that foundation of obedience and faith. We sang it earlier, trust and obey. It's not just give the appearance of obeying. It's really trusting God enough to obey that does that. The other guy heard the words. He knows what the words say, but there is nothing in him that lays that foundation of faith and assurance. And therefore, it, 
when the problems of life hit him, he just comes apart and so does his life. Yeah, but here the idea of protecting is not protecting you in a situation, but getting you through through all of life. Okay, uh, The Bible talks about he that endures to the end will be saved. The idea is that nothing, this is what Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? So that storm, whether that storm is sickness, whether that storm is uh, financial difficulty, whether that uh, storm is uh, people lying about you, whether that storm is stor- uh, that storm is abuse, whether that storm is uh, any kind of problem, the person who's built their life on trust of God and obedience of God will get through there because God will not forsake him, will not abandon him through all of that and he'll make it into the kingdom. The other one will not make it into the kingdom uh, because he's going to abandon the word of God because he doesn't trust God. The person over here, the storms are coming. If somebody says, why don't you curse God and just leave? Where do I go? There is no help but God, right? So he stays in this framework. This guy will start looking for help somewhere else. And there is no help somewhere else. Let me do this. So you're tying it to David and Goliath. I I think here we're not getting a simple one storm kind of idea. David had to fight Goliath once and then he had other things to deal with. This building the house is about the entire life of a person. And so it's, it's all of those battles, but it's the whole of them and not just one or two. So this is not... One of the problems is we think, okay, God tested me, I went through the struggle, and now everything will be fine from now on. It doesn't seem to work that way. Life is filled with difficulty. And when we finally reach the end... Uh, we will find that God was faithful through all of that and that he has not abandoned us as we enter into the kingdom. So. so this question is, why are so many churches teaching this kind of easy believism and just name it and claim it and, and, and not that you'll, there's any suffering to go through at all? Why, why is that? Well, it goes back to verse 15. Beware of the false prophets. Paul says to the Ephesians and to the Corinthians, there were false prophets among the people and there will be false prophets among you. There's always going to be the voices of Satan giving the appearance of godliness, but a message that's not actually the biblical message. And the problem is, the scripture says in the latter days, people will seek those teachers out Because they tickle their ears. Now when life is tough, that easy message that if you believe hard enough, all the problems will go away, is a very, very uh, attractive message. It's just not a true message. That's the problem. Okay, the question is, do people obey God out of fear because they don't want to go to hell? I think there are people that do that. Um, I don't think that's a healthy Uh, Fear of God. I do think that the fear of God is to understand that God can judge us. And uh, I believe that as a, like a child who when they're first growing up, they have to, 
fear their parents because their parents can punish them. But after a while, they begin to learn that their parents know more than them, and they begin to trust their parents. So I think the process is to go from fear, which is good for us because we don't know what we don't know, right? And then eventually learning that we can trust our parents or trust God. And then as we do that, the fear is lessened as the faith increases. So I think that there are people who fear God because they don't want to go to hell. But that's a very, very immature uh, approach. It's the starting place. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But it's not where you stay. You begin to trust the Lord more. Uh, now your fear is that you will not uh, trust Him at the level that you should. Right? Instead of thinking, uh, He'll send me to hell, He'll judge me, I'll disappoint Him. I want to do what He tells me because He is wise and He is good. So it changes, I think, over time.